Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Elijah's laying on his bed, probably smiling. He's living in the upper room, probably a room on top of the flat roof of where the widow and her widow boy lived. Sometimes they would build guest rooms on top of these roofs, and and there they would have guests. Well, here Elijah, he's just enjoying himself in this room. He's probably a little sick of pancakes. I don't know how far into the drought this is, maybe a year in, two years in. But he's enjoying living with the widow, and you know she's, he's used to being a prophet, maybe, and living by himself in some harsh isolation. Here, he gets to be surrounded by family, and maybe he got tired of living under that bush, you know, by the brook Cherith, and being fed by ravens, and that's all he got to talk to day after day. And now he's got people to play with and talk to, you know, maybe plays football with the sun, throws the football around a little bit, or maybe he enjoys a good game of. Mario Kart with the boy and he's he's enjoying the family and just smiling about how the Lord is taking care of him and this miracle of a never-ending flower never-ending oil it's amazing he's probably a little sick of pancakes but how the Lord is taking care of him day after day and he's thinking this is amazing and maybe he's smiling when he hears it First, it's small cry, and then ah, a great wail goes out. Elijah jumps up out of his bed. It's the widow. It's not just any cry like she stubbed her toe or hit her finger with a hammer. He runs downstairs and he finds the widow. And she collapsed to her knees and kneeling beside the little boy who's on the ground, dead. And I can imagine the widow is just weeping and crying. And when Elijah runs in, she just yells out, Why? 
Why'd you, O oh prophet, have to announce my sin, my iniquity to your God, to Yahweh? Why? 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 Because look, my son is dead. It's interesting, the woman immediately blames God for the death of her son, and then she says, it's because of my sin, it's because of my iniquity. It's because of something I did. God is punishing me by killing my son. We don't know what sin she's referring to. Maybe it was some secret sin she kept to herself. You know, maybe she quietly worshipped Baal on the side. I don't know. But she immediately says this death is caused because of some sin in my life. And you told Yahweh about it, Elijah. And she just starts to weep and she blames herself. Elijah doesn't say a word. He just picks up the boy and takes him upstairs to his room and he lays the boy on his bed. And he now cries out to God, Lord, why? Why did you bring this tragedy upon this poor widow by killing her son? He's essentially saying to God, listen, this, this woman, she's beleaguered, weighed down with tragedy. She lost her husband. She's been rejected by society. She's barely staying alive. And now you killed her son. You've brought her tragedy. Please, God, don't let this happen. And he cries out to God on behalf of this woman. You know, I, I think it's interesting. You have two responses to tragedy here, don't you? The first response is by the widow. She's like, it's my fault. God is causing this because of sin in my life. And the second response is by Elijah. I don't think he's blaming God. You killed him, God, and why? Why'd you do that? I think it's just a genuine question. Why'd you allow this to happen? We all have those questions, don't we? When we go through deep waters, when bad things happen, tragedy can just show up like that. You're not waiting for it. You're not expecting it. You're not preparing for it. It just shows up. You go to the doctor and they say it's cancer. Your best friend gets suddenly killed in a car accident. Your son, your sibling, your spouse comes down with some illness out of nowhere. Why, God? You go, it must have been sin in my life. And that's what the widow says. Or you respond with Elijah. Why'd you allow this to happen, God? And you blame God for this. And, and you say, you know, you killed the boy. Why, God, why? I think both of those responses are human responses. And I do think there may be some point where you need to examine your life. Because the Bible says... Sin and tragedy does come into our life because God disciplines those that he loves. And God may allow certain things to happen because he is sovereign and he is controlled. But the Bible also says that God is not the author of evil. And we live in a broken world where tragedy occurs because of the sinful nature of the world that we live in. But yes, God allows it and he is in control and he is sovereign and he will take care of you in it. But I don't think we can blame God for something bad happening because he is not the author of evil. He is the author of love and compassion 
and goodness, but he is sovereign and he is in control. And some of those things I can't even begin to understand and and ferret out and think through how this all works. And maybe there is a sin in your life that this tragedy came, but you know what? We all have sin, right? We all have things that we struggle with. We all have failures again and again. And if God gave us what we deserved, one of the psalmists says, who could stand? We'd be wiped out. If every sin I committed, God brought tragedy and sin into my life or tragedy and heartache into my life to teach me for all the sins I do, my life would be constantly marked by tragedy and grief. I think the best response is found in the book of John, chapter 9. It's interesting. The disciples see a man alongside the road who's blind. And they're following Jesus. And it says in John, chapter 9, verse 1, As he, Jesus, was passing by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, verse 2, Hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, hundreds of years later, these disciples are asking the same question this widow did, right? It's got to be my sin that, that God caused my son to die. Hey, Jesus, this man's blind, and he must be blind because either his parents sinned or he sinned. Which is it? And that's when Jesus gives the best response that you can give in the face of tragedy. Jesus responds to the disciples' question with this, Neither. Neither. This man wasn't born blind because of sin of his parents or sin of this man himself. No, neither. Neither this man, verse 3 of John 9, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered, This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Why did this horrible thing happen? Why did you allow this to happen, God? Why, why, why? And I I think those are useless questions. Instead, I think a better question is, what now? How do you want your glory to be seen in this, God? How can I bring you glory in the midst of this tragedy? How can I bring you glory? Well, Elijah takes the boy upstairs and lays him on his bed, and he cries out to God. And he asks his genuine, heartfelt question. And then it says he stretches himself out and lays across the boy, and he cries out to God. And he prays, Lord, please revive this boy. Please, please. And he gets back up. Pokes him. Nothing. So then he stretches himself out across the boy a second time. And he cries out, Lord, please revive the soul of this boy. Please bring him back to life. And he gets back up. And again, nothing. So then the third time he stretches himself out across the boy and he cries out to the Lord, Lord Yahweh, please save this boy. Please bring him back to life. And as he's praying, I can imagine the boy's like, 
<laughs> you're crushing me, Elijah. Get off of me. Your your hairy armpits in my face. And Elijah's like, yes, he is alive. And he picks up the boy and he runs downstairs. And he comes to the widow and he turns around and says, look, your son is alive. The boy gets down from Elijah, runs over and hugs his mom, and she hugs him. And then the widow says, now I know you are a man of God. Then the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Yes. Yahweh saved my son through you, Elijah. Now notice, Elijah doesn't get the glory. It wasn't anything Elijah did. The woman says, the Lord's word is true. You're his conduit. You're his prophet, Elijah. You prayed, but guess what? It was God working through you. And I'm going to give Yahweh all the glory. And I'm going to give him all the praise. And they were jumping around excited. It's interesting. This is the first time in scripture when a human is restored back to life. I mean, I think that is a great story just to see God working through Elijah and how excited they are and they're happy. Well, I don't know how much longer the drought lasted. All I know is it says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, after a long time. I don't know exactly how long it is. Did this occur two years when the widow boy got saved? Because remember, the drought lasted for three years and six months. Well, finally... Yahweh comes to Elijah and says, You have got to go present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the land. And I wonder if Elijah's got a nice piece of pancake on his fork, about to eat it for supper for the 450th time during this drought. And when Yahweh comes to him, he's like, there's a good chance I can eat something apart from pancakes. Yes. And so he runs off and he finds a man named Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was the right-hand man of Ahab. So King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, right? They didn't do all their work. No, they probably gave a lot of it to this guy named Obadiah. Well, Ahab had said to Obadiah, we have got to search and find water, grass, particularly green grass, so our horses who pull our chariots and the mules and the cattle that we eat, we've got to find grass so they can eat, so we can have horses to pull chariots in the battle, horses to have our soldiers and meat from cows so I can eat, and we've got to find grass. So him and Obadiah went through all of Israel and they split it between them looking for green grass because the Bible says the famine was particularly severe in Samaria. And I think that's cool because Samaria is the capital city of northern Israel. And why did this famine show up in the first place? Well, because Ahab pursued these Baals. Ahab and Jezebel helped to cause northern Israel to sin. Well, God said, you know what? I'm sending a famine, and I am particularly going to make it severe in your hometown, Ahab. 
I want you to bear the brunt of this. Well, Ahab did to the point where he's like, Obadiah, my right-hand man, let's get out. Let's start looking for green grass. And so they're looking all over Israel. And Ahab had half of Israel and Obadiah had the other. And they're looking for green grass so they can feed their cattle and their horses when Obadiah is looking around at the ground and he looks up and bonk. He runs into Elijah. <gasps> it's Elijah. And he says, is it you, my Lord, Elijah? He calls Elijah his Lord. He shows him reverence because he knows he represents Yahweh. And the interesting thing about Obadiah is, yeah, he works for Ahab, who is a worshiper of Baal. But Obadiah, he's got a secret. He's got a secret that he's kept hidden all these years. And you know what that secret is? He is a true worshiper of Yahweh. Obadiah didn't follow Baal, no. He followed Yahweh. It says in 1 Kings that he greatly feared the Lord. And not only that, Obadiah proved it in what he did because it says there that Jezebel... She was killing the prophets of Yahweh. I mean, she went around and slaughtered them, killed them, wiped them out. And when Obadiah found that out, he took a hundred prophets of Yahweh and he hid them in caves by 50. So two caves, 50 in one, 50 in the other. And for the past three years, he kept them alive by feeding him water and food. And he kept this whole thing secret while working for the very man and woman whose program was causing this horrible thing to happen. Wow, can you imagine the courage Obadiah had? Will I get found out today? Well, here he is looking for grass and he bumps into Elijah. And when he meets Elijah, his response is, not, yay, it's Elijah, this is great, this is great, I'm so excited. No, instead it's great fear. Because Elijah says to Obadiah, listen, I want you to go back to your master Ahab and tell him Elijah is here. Go tell your Lord Elijah is here. And when Obadiah hears that... He's like, are you crazy? I mean, I'd get excited. Hey, the famine's over. Nope. Obadiah, he's like, no way. And he fears for his life. Why? Obadiah tells Elijah, listen, you don't know how hard we've been looking for you, Elijah. We went all over Israel. And then it says we went into other nations, other kingdoms looking for you. We sought other kingdoms, other nations. We talked to other kings and we made them swear to us that they had not seen you. We've looked in every single, under every rock, under every tree, in every place you could imagine. We've been looking for you. And when I go and tell Ahab that I found you, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to come back here and the Spirit of the Lord, whoop, is going to whisk you off somewhere. And when I come back here with Ahab, you'll be gone. And then Ahab will go, what? And then he's going to kill me. I know that's going to happen. Well, then Elijah says to him, 
as the Lord of hosts lives. As the Lord of hosts lives. Some versions say, as the Lord of armies lives, in whose presence I stand, I will present myself to Ahab today. Wow. That's a cool statement. Elijah says, I'm standing before the Lord but he's not just the Lord. He is the Lord of armies. You can't imagine the angelic armies that are encamped around him. You can't imagine the hosts of angels that come and do his bidding and are all ready to work on his behalf. And guess what? That mighty Lord, that mighty leader of an angelic army, guess what? I stand in his presence And I can stand up to Ahab. And I can stand here and tell you with confidence, I'm not going to be whisked away. I'm going to be confident knowing that I fight for the Lord who has this vast army. I'm not going to be afraid of Ahab because I stand in the presence of the Lord of armies. Man, that's great confidence, isn't it? For those of us who are Christians today, no matter what our culture throws at us, no matter what our culture says about us, we're standing in the presence of the Lord of armies. We should be more confident in proclaiming the gospel. We should be more confident in telling people about Jesus because we know even more of the story than Elijah did at that time. But he said, I stand before Yahweh who has a host of armies at his disposal and I stand in his power and I stand in his strength and you can stand in that same strength today if you know Jesus is your savior. Well, Elijah says, I'm not going anywhere. I will meet Ahab today. So Obadiah says, all right. And he goes off and he gets Ahab and he brings Ahab back to Elijah. Who's still there. He hasn't been whisked away. When he starts walking towards Elijah, Ahab goes, oh, look. (laughs) Is that you, the great troubler of Israel? The one who's causing all this famine, all this trouble? The great ruiner of Israel? Is that you, Elijah? Now, it's so interesting, right? It's always the one causing the trouble who blames other people. Ahab doesn't blame himself, though it's his fault. He's the one who pursued the Baals. He's the one who got Israel to build a temple to Baal. He's the one leading the nation in the worship of Baal. But instead of taking responsibility, he blames other people. Hey, look, Elijah, it's you, the great troubler of Israel. You're the one causing all this trouble. But Elijah calls him out. He says, I'm not the great troubler of Israel. It's you and the house of Omri that are the great troublers of Israel because you've abandoned the Lord's commands. 
you're not obeying what you know the Lord wants you to do. You're breaking the covenant that our forefathers made with Yahweh. And then on top of that, you're pursuing Baal. Now you are blaming me? No, it's you, Ahab, and your house of Omri. I can imagine Ahab stood there. He's probably thinking, wow, Elijah, he doesn't look skinny at all. In fact, I'd say he's been eating pretty well. He looks like he's full of pancakes or something. I don't know. And and he's like, I can imagine Ahab maybe stepped back, a little afraid of Elijah and his confidence. And Elijah leans in and he says, oh, this is the time Ahab, now is the time to put up or shut up. I want you to meet me at Mount Carmel. And I want you to bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. In other words, I want you to bring 450 prophets who, who follow your male god, fertility god, Baal, and then I want you to bring 400 prophets who worship this goddess, Baal's wife, Asherah. And I want you to bring all 850 of them. I want you to bring to Mount Carmel. And I want you to bring your gods. And we're going to see whose God is true. Is my God Yahweh? Because I'm the only one that's going to be showing up. It's going to be one against your 850. And I'm bringing Yahweh. And they're bringing Baal and Asherah. Whose God is real, Ahab? What happens at this great showdown between the gods, between Yahweh and Baal and Yahweh and Asherah? Who wins? What's going to happen? Well, you got to come back next week for that. But I just want to encourage you this week. In the middle of tragedy, seek to give God the glory. Seek to make his name great. And when you stand before people that should cause you fear, I want you to stand in confidence. Because you're standing before the Lord of hosts. You're standing up for righteousness and truth. Standing up for Jesus. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. You're standing in the presence of the Lord of armies, just like Elijah. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.